All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Hope you are, who are out there watching or listening are blessed today and that you've had a great week coming out of uh, Easter. I have the opportunity this morning. I'm going to share a couple of announcements, receive our tithe and offering, and then uh, get into the message today. The first announcement is uh, tonight we're going to actually have a Sunday night service. So we are excited about that. Um, it's going to be followed. The service will be at six o'clock. So you can tune in. It'll be live streamed. So you'll find it on uh, Facebook and then you'll find it on YouTube if you watch there. And then uh, for those of you who are uh, members of this church and consider this church your home, we're going to have a seven o'clock Zoom whole church uh, time of video conference and fellowship to uh, talk about the message that that'll be shared at six o'clock and then also to uh, just pray together connect with each other our women have connected our men have connected but this is an opportunity for uh, our whole family to connect you'll also have a chance just to uh, talk to me ask me questions if there's things that have been on your mind some of our other leaders as well if you guys have questions and concerns whatever it might be it'll just be a good time for us tonight so service at six o'clock afterwards, get into your calendar on the website or on your app, and then you will have the uh, information to log on to Zoom at seven o'clock for our meeting. Uh, also just want to announce that our youth have been meeting every Friday night, same way, uh, video conferences on Zoom, and they've been blessed. Uh, most of the, the young people have been able to connect every week, and uh, such a good thing to see them. They are the young ones, the tech-savvy ones, so it's not a surprise that they've been able to do that every week. But we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the youth leaders uh, making the time, setting aside the time, preparing for them as always is great. Um, Last thing is this, this, uh, this weekend, we had our sidewalk sanctuary ministry, was able to go out and uh, find a way to still bless um, and to, uh, to reach people. You know, our sidewalk sanctuary is about going outside of the walls of the church, uh, sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, feeding people, loving on people. And uh, it was powerful this weekend to see them do that for our folks, for our members and uh, uh, families in this church. They were able to go out and deliver safely packages um, just to say that we love you and that we miss you. And uh, the outpouring from that has been great. Not only the ministry itself uh, being able to do what, what God has called them to do, but also those that received have been flooding us with text messages and pictures and encouragement. So it just feels like that love is mutual, right? The love from the church and then the love back to the church. And we're grateful for that, uh, that we were able to see that even in a time like this. Um, so, so good. Um, so that's it for announcements. Hopefully we'll see you later on tonight um, after service today. So tithe and offering. Um, I want to share a couple of quick scriptures with you that I hope will, uh, will illuminate some things for us. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. This was coming out of uh, Easter, that Passion Week. He comes into the church, comes into the temple. He sees what's going on in the temple, and he begins to overturn the tables and drive people out uh, when it comes to money and the things going on in the church that he saw. And then this is in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. It says, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax or the tithe? He said, yes. 
And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. So Peter comes into the house. Jesus anticipates him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. So I love these, these two scriptures when we hold them up together. The first one we see that Jesus is irate. He's so angry to walk into the church and see people being abused, see people being taken advantage of, see buying and selling in the church, right? And uh, it's this market that's happening in the church. He says, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. And he flips the tables. He, he gets a cord and he drives these people out of the church. But in the next breath, you see him dealing with Peter and they're talking about the tithe. They're talking about giving into the church. And Jesus asked him, you know, do, do, do the kings take these resources or these, this money, these taxes, do they take it from, from strangers or from sons? Peter says from strangers, right? It's a tax on those who are not really a part of that community. And then Jesus says, well, then the sons are free, right? We are free to give, right? We're not told that we have to give. We're told we are expected to give. We are asked to give. We are uh, blessed with the opportunity to give. And then what, what Jesus says is, listen, we are not going to break this law. We are not going to offend. We're going to do this. And then the way that he tells Peter to do that, says, Peter, go to the sea, grab a fish. What comes up, uh, you're going to find a coin in its mouth. It's going to be enough for you to give for myself and for you, right? I don't think it's by coincidence that Peter was a fisherman, right? He says, Peter, what you do in your, uh, your trade, what you do in your career, I just want you to go out and do that. And when you do, I'm going to actually provide the fish. You didn't make any fish, Peter. You're just fishing. I'll provide the fish. And when it comes up and you receive it, I want you to take some of that and I want you to give it into the kingdom. God's so good. He tells us that uh, he's going to be the one to provide for us, right? He says that even the trades and the careers and the jobs that he's given us, they come from him and that we have enough. We have enough to give into the kingdom, right? We're going to feel it, right? We're supposed to feel it when we tithe and when we offer. But at the same time, there's going to be plenty enough left over to take care of ourselves, take care of our families. So, so many lessons there about how God feels about money, how God feels about these things in the church, what's right in the church and what's wrong in the church. And then on an individual level, how the Lord expects us to deal with some of those things. So in our church... This week, the reason I wanted to share for, for tithe and offering uh, is I got a call from somebody and they were trying to figure out, hey, how can we get our tithe in? How can we get our offering in? We don't do electronic. We don't, we don't give uh, over the app or on the internet or anything like that. And so we were talking, they're like, well, maybe we can drop it off at the church or maybe we can go to the bank or maybe we could do this. And, and we almost got into a little bit of an argument and I started laughing because I said to myself, you know, how funny is it that that we're almost arguing about people that want to give so badly that they're trying to figure out how to get it into the kingdom. And I thought to the Lord, I thought, uh, this is a wonderful problem to have, right, Lord? Not trying to, to convince people or, or force people or ask people to, to give, but people reaching out and saying, how can we do this? And what's the most effective way? And what's the, the best time for us to be able to do that in a season like this? Amen. It was just such a good uh, moment and encouragement to me. So for those of you who are wondering, when it comes to the church, um, 
We've done well. Our giving, I would say, from what I was told from our finance people, is a little bit down in April, but we're only halfway through the month. Uh, what they told me is that they are encouraged that our people are remaining faithful. And uh, that's an encouragement to me as well. My prayer has not changed. I believe and I pray that everyone in the church, ours and others, would be tithers, because I believe that's what God has called us to do. Um, I believe that some can do more. I, I pray that we would be offerers as well. Um, and then I also pray is that uh, those who are struggling in this time, who have lost jobs, who have been furloughed, who have had to uh, go on unemployment, that they also would continue to give, right? The same way we see Jesus with the woman with her last two mites, he allowed her to give because that's what she was called to do. However, I pray that those who are struggling, that now's the time to show your faith, show your Christianity, and actually be reaching out to your brothers and sisters and letting them know what you're going through, letting the church know what you're going through so that the church can meet those needs, so that your brothers and sisters can meet those needs. If you're struggling, don't withhold, right, from God. Give to God, and you should be connected to your life groups. You should be connected to your brothers and sisters. You should be connected to your elders and your pastors in a way that you know you won't have to go without. That's what God desires. That's what I desire. Amen. That's my prayer. Amen? Yeah. So I'm going to pray, and uh, hopefully that helps you and encourages you. And uh, we're going to get into the message that we have for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're always on time. We thank you that you're always ready, Lord God. We thank you that you know the end from the beginning. We thank you, Lord, that we don't go any, through anything alone. We thank you that not only have you given yourself and given your life for us, Lord God, but you've also given us brothers and sisters to walk with, Lord, to talk with, to be encouraged by, to be strengthened by, Lord God. We thank you that in a season like this, ministries are finding ways to be creative and finding ways to reach out to people, finding ways to still uh, minister to your flock and to your sons and to your daughters, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that in a time like this, we're finding that people are being faithful and continuing to be faithful, Lord, and finding ways to be more faithful, Lord God, rather than the opposite, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that as we come out of Easter, as we come out of this season where we reflect upon and we rejoice about what it is that you've done for us, Lord, that we do as you told us at the, uh, the Last Supper, Lord God, that we do these things in remembrance of you, Lord, your body being broken for us and your blood being shed for us, Lord, that as we find ourselves in this type of season, in this moment, Lord, uh, that what you're bringing to remembrance is love, what you're bringing to remembrance is liberality, what you're bringing to remembrance, Lord God, is hope, what you're bringing to remembrance is faithfulness, Lord God. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be open in this time, that you would help us to reach out in this time, Lord God, that you would make uh, bonds and connections stronger, Lord God, more durable, Lord Jesus, and deeper, Lord God. We ask you this morning, as we get into your word, Lord, that as we open your word, as we read your word, Lord God, that it would be alive and powerful as you say it is, Lord God, that it would jump off of the pages, Lord, that it would transfer to those who are here in this place, Lord, to those who are watching, those who are listening, Lord God, that that would carry on, Lord, that there would be a ripple effect, Lord Jesus, of the truth about you, of the reality of you, that you are alive and well, Lord God, that you are seeking your people, Lord. Yes. You're not hiding from us. You're not running from us, Lord God. This morning, you're expecting us to meet with you and to dine with you, and you have something ready for us, Lord God. So we've come. We've come expectant, Lord. Have your way. Bless your people. Meet our needs, Lord God. Give us revelation and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. 
So this morning we're starting a, a new series. I'm not sure at this point how long it's going to go. Uh, might be one week, <laughs> might be two, might be four or eight, who knows. We'll see what God does. It just feels like after coming out of this Easter season, it feels like the Lord has so much to say and so many things that he wants uh, uh, to share with his people. So we'll see what the Lord does. Uh, for those of you who are note takers, whether you're here in the building or, or there at home, the uh, title of the series is Things We Lost in the Fire. Things We Lost in the Fire. Like all of our series here in uh, week number one, I want to try to lay a foundation for what we're going to be talking about and uh, what it is that we're going to be hoping to see and learn from the Lord in this series. So let's get to it. Jesus had this zeal, Jesus had this passion, and ultimately a fire for the church. We saw that, like I said, the last couple of weeks as we went through the Passion Week of Palm Sunday. Then we got to Good Friday, we got to uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we just see this passion, we see this zeal, we see this fire, right? We saw it with the, uh, the tears as he came in on Palm Sunday, and he looks and he sees all of Jerusalem, and he begins to weep because he's so passionate about these people. He's so passionate about where they find themselves and missing this opportunity. He says that if you had known this, this moment of your visitation, right? And he's crying because they don't understand uh, what's happening and who he is and what he, he came to provide for them, right? To the point where he's weeping. We also saw that passion and that fire and that zeal like we just talked about where he comes into the church at the end and he just can't take it anymore. He gets this, uh, he braids a whip of cords, right? And he begins to whip out these money changers and kick them out of the church and flip their tables over. There's chains flying everywhere. There's doves flying everywhere. He's not just coming to church to sit and listen. He's coming with passion and fire and excitement for the things of God. It's my father's house. It's a house of prayer, all these things, right? In the book of Revelation, uh, there's a few different descriptions given of Jesus uh, seen by John in the glory in uh, the book of Revelation. And it says that he has uh, eyes that are a flame of fire. Can you imagine eyes that are a flame of fire? The picture that scripture paints of this resurrected, ever-living uh, God of ours is that this fire is actually burning within him. And it reminds us that after the resurrection, right, and after the ascension after 40 days, that he is going to come again. But when he comes, he is going to be coming with this uh, refining fire. He's going to be coming to judge hearts and coming to judge the minds and the works of all of his people. Right? You know, Jeremiah says that uh, he didn't want to talk about God anymore. He didn't want to preach anymore. He says, but it became a fire burning up in him. Uh, it was like a fire in his bones that he had to keep preaching. He had to keep telling people these prophecies about who God is and what God was going to do. And it's that same thing that we see in Jesus just on a greater level, that it's burning from the inside of him. And that's the expectation. That's what we have to hope for. The one that is going to return, right? Uh, like we said before, the lamb went in, the lion comes out. When, when he comes again, he's not coming as a baby, right, to live and to grow and to die. He's coming as the king, right, in judgment for those who love him, grace and mercy, for those that don't, this, uh, this fire and this judgment, right, hearts and minds. Proverbs 17.3 says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Malachi 3.2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? 
And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as the refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So one says that he is this fire. He is this refining fire, but it's not of, of precious metals. It's more about the hearts of his people that he's judging. The second one says, who can even stand when he comes? The fire, the flame, the heat that's coming he says, you need to get ready for it. And then specifically, he talks about the sons of Levi, which are the priests, the pastors, right? The leaders, right? That he's coming to purge. He's coming to do these things so that the offering that's presented and given is one of righteousness. This is uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking about this relationship between God and these pastors and these leaders, but also between these pastors and these leaders and the people that they're ministering to. And this is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, speaking of, of him and these other leaders, we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which, has, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. So good, right? Paul says, look, the, the pastors, the leaders, they laid a foundation. It's the only foundation that you can build on, the foundation of Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, ascension, return, soon and coming return. He says, but beyond that, you guys are building on that foundation. You're building your own homes. You're building your own uh, walk with God. You're building your own families and spirituality, all these things. And he says, there's going to come a day where all that's going to be tested. It's going to be tested through fire. And what's going to happen is if you built with gold and silver and precious stones, it will endure the fire. If you built with wood, hay, or stubble, it's not going to endure. It's going to burn up and disappear. The good news is this morning I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to believers. I love the end of that scripture. He says, if anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The idea is that you've got uh, strong Christians, biblical Christians, building on the word of God, building on the spirit of God, right? And these things are going to endure through the fires of life. And then you've got this other classification of Christians who they truly do believe they put their faith in Jesus Christ, but what they're building <laughs> is not based on the word of God. It's not based on the spirit of God. So what he says is you're going to suffer loss. That's all going to burn up and disappear. However, you'll still be saved. You'll just be singed. <laughs> you'll be saved. You're just going to struggle. You'll be saved. You're just going to be having these hard times and these hard seasons time and time again. You're going to labor and then see all of your labor destroyed. So why things we lost in the fire and why now of all times? Because this uh, coronavirus 
has placed us as Christians in this place where we find ourselves in a refining fire, I think. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I'm not saying that God has caused the coronavirus, but God definitely is in control and has allowed the coronavirus. And what he's doing in the lives of Christians is always different than what he's doing in the lives of others. Right? We find ourselves in this refining fire because of coronavirus. And there's something that God is testing. There's something that God is doing, something that God is trying to uh, accomplish in our lives. And I just don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. In a spiritual sense, for sure, we're seeing that if what we've been building is gold or silver, if it's precious stones, if it's wood, hay or stubble, right? Right now, we're finding out literally what we're made of. It's true for the church and it's true for the individual believer. My hope is to share things during this season that we uh, that we've lost. Right. As we go through this series and we think about the season we're in, I want to share things that we've lost in the fire, but I also want to share things that uh, we've gained, right? When you lose something, you oftentimes make room for something else to be gained, right? We used to talk about this a lot when I was uh, younger in my faith and, and first getting saved is that, uh, yeah, when you get rid of some of that junk that's in your cup, some of that junk that's in your life, now there's this space and there's this room for God to come in with holy things and righteous things and things of blessing. So not only are we going to look at things we've lost in the fire, but as a, as a consequence of that, as a result of that, maybe there's some things that we've gained as well. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. See, right now, I, I wish I could say, say again, again. <laughs> say again at home, again. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. I love this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, that was verses 3 through 9, and it really made me think about our, our Easter scriptures, about this idea that uh, what Jesus provides for us is indestructible life, we talked about last week. When we're born again, we're no longer born of the seed of Adam, which is a seed that is uh, sin-filled and dying, we're born again of the seed of Christ, which is indestructible and full of life, right? And that's what he talks about here. Our inheritance is now incorruptible and undefiled. We've been born again to a living hope. And then it says, however, though for a little while, if need be, you have to go through these testings, 
through this fire, through this refining process. You know, the promise, like we talked about, the resurrection isn't the, isn't the promise itself. It's confirmation of the promise being true. The promise is that you are going to uh, rise yourself. You are going to endure forever. You're going to have incorruptible and indestructible life. You're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. How are we going to get there, though, is through this refining fire. Now that you're saved, now that you know who the Lord is, now that you've repented, now that you've redirected your life to the cross, and to follow Jesus, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now that we've done that, we're going to go through the fire, the refining fire. There's things that have to be burned off of us. I don't know any blacksmiths personally, but I think we've all either been to Knott's Berry Farm or we've watched enough movies to understand that there are impurities in these precious metals. And the only way to get those impurities out is through fire. It would be no different for you and I as Christians if we are going to be set aside, right? if we're going to be consecrated to the Lord, if we're going to be in the presence of God and used by God, there are impurities that have to be purged out of us through fire. So here it is. Let me try to show how the losses and gains work together in the fire. Our, our main scripture to start this series is going to be Daniel chapter 3. You guys should be used to it by now. This is the point in the service where I read a whole chapter. So uh, take your notes, listen if you can, write it down so that you can go back and read through this. But this is Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to read the whole of it, verse 1 through verse 30. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, officials of the provinces, they gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well then, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Got to stop there real quick at verse 15. So even as I'm reading, I'm, I'm picturing this, that this king creates, up this, creates this golden image and puts it up for everybody to see. He calls everybody, all the leaders, administrators, right, all the provinces, and he says, you need to come and you need to worship. And what is the response from this earthly king? It's, it's, it sounds like I read the same thing two or three times because all that same list, they come and they're ready to worship. Then he says that this herald goes out, right, that somebody stands up, and begins to tell everybody, when you hear the music start, you better start worshiping. You better bow down to this golden image and give glory to King Nebuchadnezzar. And you think about that parallel with the church. We have a king who is worthy to be worshipped and calls us to worship. Then when we come to the king, most church services, they start with this time of worship. And we get offended most of the time if the worship team says, raise your hands. Sing with us. It doesn't matter what kind of voice you have. He's worthy of praise. In the world, they're modeling that same thing that they get from the scriptures, from the, the worship of the true God, and everybody is all about it. In the church, we're offended when we're asked to be all about it. And I think maybe now we're starting to see that we wish we were able to gather in a place and lift up our voices together. We wish we had somebody poking us and prodding us and saying, Sing! <laughs> Open your mouth! Raise your hands! And then it gets closer and closer. First it was just this word that went out, and now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves right before this king, and he's telling them, what's it going to be? If you choose not to, who's going to deliver you? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt 
And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, the king's counselors all gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, any nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So good. What a story. True story. Say true story. <laughs> so here's the background the children of israel find themselves in captivity again if you read through the old testament uh time and time again they would disobey god they would be sold into slavery or taken into captivity god would deliver they'd have this season of faithfulness then they would disobey god they'd taken into captivity again god would deliver these cycles that many of us go through uh individually in our lives uh, is exactly what's going on here. They've been uh, taken into captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem and uh, Babylon now has authority over Israel. So in this society, they were enslaved, they were conquered, but they were actually still living pretty good. When you read through this, this portion of scripture, uh, these nations that were conquered were relatively well taken care of. They would get this, uh, this ruler that would come in from Babylon and rule the region, but they would still have a lot of their cultural things going on. And then those who were um, the most gifted or the most talented were even taken and given high positions in uh, the Babylonian empire, which is why they said those who you've placed uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you've placed them in these high positions and they're not worshiping you. That's kind of the, the society uh, picture that we have here. So if you look at the New Testament, for you and I as, as Christians, here's the, the comparison. God tells us that we are pilgrims and sojourners. What that means is that this is not our home, that we are passing through, that we're trying to get somewhere. Where we're trying to get is heaven. We have a heavenly home. Right? So we're supposed to live as foreigners. We're supposed to live as sojourners. We're supposed to live as pilgrims. However, just like uh, when, when Israel is in captivity under Babylon, there's still this, this opportunity to live in that society, grow in that society, even have these high positions if you're gifted. It's the same thing as for Christians. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. But we find ourselves, when we're gifted and using the things that God has given us, elevated within this world, right? blessed within this world, resourced within this world, all right? But there comes a time where the heat, though, gets turned up, right? Just like it did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It doesn't matter who you are. If you truly are a pilgrim, if you truly are a sojourner in this world, even if you're blessed in this world, right, 
even if you've, you've been positioned in this world and the world sees you in a good light, eventually the heat's going to get turned up. And as Christians, we are defined and we are refined by these fires. So we've either got to take a stand, we've got to go through a hard time, um, we've got to uh, work hard in a situation we may find ourselves in, right? We've got to worship, we've got to live, we've got to do things in a way that, that isn't always popular kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire gets turned up, and all of a sudden, when everything was, was going good together and working well together, now all of a sudden we're being asked, or we're being forced, to kind of show our true colors. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, we will not worship anybody but God. Right? He says, or they say, our God can deliver us. Our God will deliver us. So there's this, this strength, there's this faith. And then there's this also this wisdom where they say, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> right, even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we are not going to worship you as God. We recognize that you're the government. We recognize that you're the authority. We recognize that we've been conquered in many ways. We recognize that the food we have is provided by you. The positions we have are provided by you. And we work hard and we labor hard even in our captivity. However, let's just make it clear, right, that we are not going to worship you as God because we have a God. Many times it's, it's hard for us to do that part, right, where we recognize uh, the jobs we have and the bosses we have and the communities we have and the resources we have, you know, the roads that are paved. If you've ever traveled, if you've been to third world countries, you begin to say, thank God for America, for roads and bridges, right? For infrastructure, right? For electricity that gets to everywhere, for water that gets to everywhere. We were going to all these stores and stockpiling all this water, but the faucet stayed on. And sometimes it's hard for us to be able to, when the fire gets turned up, we don't want to feel like we're, we're being ungrateful for these things, but it's between Nebuchadnezzar and God sometimes. It's between the one who really provides. I'm glad that the faucet stayed on, but they didn't create that water. They've housed it. They've filtrated it, right? They've, they've given us conduits to get it into our homes. But at the end of the day, it's just like the fish that Jesus told Peter to go get the coin from. God made the fish. God made the water. heat turns up what are we made of so then comes the fire here's what we see here's what we learn from this fire with Shadrach Meshach and Abednego we learned that the oppressors are often consumed by the flames that they intended for us you know when they heated this thing to seven times the normal heat and they were in such a hurry to destroy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wanted to make an example of them and they get ready to, to throw them into this fire and they are the ones that are actually consumed by the fire that they created for us or for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this case. So one of the things I think we learn is that in the fire we lose oppression, right? These are their oppressors right? These are the ones that are trying to hurt them, but they don't lose that oppression and they don't lose that, that, uh, that overbearing presence in their life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in this place of comfort. They don't lose that even back in Jerusalem 
and, and being Israel and having freedom, they lose that oppression when they're actually in captivity and they lose that oppression when they're actually in the fire. That's where God is not only dealing with, with them as individuals, but he's also dealing with the oppressors and the oppression that we feel in our lives. I love, as I was even reading through the Daniel chapter 3 this morning, how it says that uh, they were in the fire, but they weren't affected by the fire. Their, their hair wasn't singed, their clothes were, were, uh, were not singed, right? See, when, when you go into the fire sometimes, it's painful, <laughs> it's uh, it's scary, all that kind of stuff. But everybody who knows after you've come out of one of these refining, refining fires, you're like, man, I'm still, I'm still whole. I'm still here. I'm actually okay. I love that it said that. They weren't even singed, but those who were oppressing them were destroyed in that same process. God in the fire of refinement is setting us free from bondage, setting us free from oppression, but it's still hot, and in the middle of it, it's still painful. So in this season of uh, this coronavirus, we may be enduring some heat, but it's for our good, right? It may be hot, it may be painful, it may be uh, a season of uncertainty in so many different ways, season of fear and anxiety, but man, it's, it's for our good. So what was gained in this fire? So they lost some oppression. They lost um, even some uncertainty in the sense of like they know God can do something. They believe that he will do something. But even in the midst, they say that, well, look, but he might not. Right. Maybe they lost some of that sense of entitlement of what they what they feel like they deserve from God. But what did they gain in this fire? In the end of this story, uh, after the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to faith in God. He glorifies God, right? He makes these new decrees. He, he basically says, I'm going to take myself off of the throne and take down my image, and we're going to lift up the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He's like, man, if you don't, he's not the greatest leader. I'm just going to kill you and destroy you and burn up your houses. <laughs> he hasn't quite figured out how to be a Christian yet, but <laughs> at the end... Because of the fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to faith. But that's after the fire, right? What did they actually lose in the fire? Or what did they gain, excuse me, in the fire? They gained the presence of God. They gained the presence of God in a way that they had not known it before, right? They came from Israel gifted young men. I'm sure there are plenty of gifted young women and they're used in these, in these powerful ways within the kingdom. They take a stand and they say, we're not going to worship you. We're going to worship God. They knew God. When you hear about, about Daniel and how he wouldn't eat the food that everybody else was eating, like these men and women, they knew God. They loved God. They served God, right? And that's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, right? But it's not until they go into the fire do they actually get the presence of God in this new way. There's three of them, they're in the fire, and then Nebuchadnezzar says, I thought we only put three in here. I see four. It looks like the Son of God. He's walking around with them, and we sent them in there bound, and now they're free. We go in bound to the fire, we go in oppressed to the fire, and in the fire we gain the presence of God 
in a way that we had not known it before. I wonder how many of us during this time, during this season, during the virus, during this self-quarantine, during the, the job losses, and during the furloughs, and during uh, the frustration, how many of us are experiencing and seeing God in a way that we had not seen him before? If we're not, man, are we, are we, are we wasting the fire? Because it's coming, right? No matter what. Or maybe it, maybe it might just be that, that we're finding out that what we thought was gold and silver and precious stones is really wood, hay, and stubble. Amen. And that's why we're not seeing him in a new way in this time. See, I believe that many of you who are listening, those of you who are watching, are good, strong Christians. You love the Lord. You're willing to take stands, Right? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, just like Esther, right? Just like Daniel, Joshua, Rahab, who she becomes, like, that's you. However, it's actually in the fires of life that we grow the most and we see God in new ways. I know it's hard when we read scriptures that say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and all that kind of stuff. So it's one thing to, to say, hey, let's get excited for the next fire. Let's get excited for the next trial. Yeah, that, that's difficult for anybody. If anybody says that that's easy, they're lying to you. However, once you find yourself in a trial, once you find yourself in a fire, as Christians, that's the time where we should say, look, I didn't ask for this. I wasn't hoping for this. But now that I'm here, I know my God. He refines in fire. He releases us from oppression and bondage in fire, right? And he shows up in a new way, in an exciting way in fire. Man, I pray that we're losing some things in the fire and gaining some things in the fire. So I'm going to close by sharing just one thing for this week that I feel like you and I hopefully have lost in this fire so far. And one thing that I hope that we've gained in this fire of the 2020 coronavirus so far. And uh, I say hopeful, right? Because uh, I would love to say that we've all lost these things and we've all gained these things. But the reality is that that, that might not be the case yet. But I think it's possible. Amen. Amen. So what have we lost? Or what do I hope that we've lost? Or what do I hope we will lose? Number one is dependence on church. Dependence on church. So many people, I believe, equated their Christianity with church attendance, church programs, and church gatherings, Amen. right? We, we got up and went every week. We went to Bible studies. We went to life groups. And it was all about, you know, somebody asked you, where do you go to church? Nobody asked you, what's your relationship like with Jesus? Even when we talk about God, we say, hey, do you have a church? Would you like to come to my church? My church is doing this. My church is doing that, right? It's all about how many services did I go to? How many events did I attend? How faithful was I in, in inviting people to church? And I feel like this coronavirus has really set that stuff aflame. Those things have been scorched. So here's the question. What have you lost because of that? What have you found? Where, where, what do you see now that there is no gathering? There are no events. 
There's not a life group that you get to go to. There's not a Bible study in the midweek that you get to come to. There's not a worship service that you get to enter into. Even if you come in five minutes late for it, 15 minutes late for it. It ain't there right now. Are we finding, are you finding that your individual walk, was it wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones? Was it focused on this idea of, that's why I use my little air quotes here, this idea of church and going to church? Or was it focused on the presence of God, you bringing the presence of God to church with you, <laughs> right? You bringing the presence of God to a life group, to a Bible study, to an outreach, to a ministry with you, or were we kind of thinking that we go to the place where the presence of God is, and now that it's not there for us anymore, wood, hay, and stubble, burning before our eyes, or are we finding, man, I didn't even realize how much gold and silver and precious stones I had in my walk with God. Either way, I pray that we've lost that dependency on church the way that we refer to church. The question I have right now is, where are the worshipers? Where are the prophetic words? Where are the people fighting to start Bible studies and fighting to host life groups? See, when we were having church, everybody wanted to worship and everybody wanted to sing loud. When we were having church, people couldn't wait to say, hey, can I, can I share a word? God has been speaking to me, and I just feel like this is for the church. People were fighting. I want to lead a life group. I want to host a life group. I can't give up a life group. How can this be? Where are those same people, right? Because if it was uh, gold and silver and precious stones, then this season should not stop that. We should be getting emails and phone calls and we should be posting and we should see worshipers just by themselves on social media saying, I am a worshiper. I'm not a church performer. What about the priest of the home? We talk about this year after year after year. We say, God says that we are priests of our home. Men, rise up, be the priests of your home. Are we seeing that? Are we seeing uh, children and families and wives posting, I cannot believe what I'm seeing out of my husband. When we were no longer allowed to gather and we weren't able to come in on Sunday mornings, we would wake up, right? And before, maybe sometimes we would all try to motivate each other to get to church. We wake up now and he's there and he's ready and he's got his Bible out. And he says, hey, before we get to that live stream, I've got some things that I want to share with you that God is speaking to me. What about the wives? Are we seeing this outpouring of grace and of mercy and of patience within the homes? Because that wasn't just something that, that they were trying to do when they would go to church. That was who God is shaping them to be. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Is this coronavirus season of self-quarantine and no gathering in the building, have we lost something? What has it revealed to us about our walk, about our homes, about our leading and our following? I hope we've lost that dependence on the church. I was talking with a friend uh, yesterday about 
all the things we're learning about the church right now and all the things we're learning about our individual walks. And I shared with him that I think uh, two things are going to happen when the fire uh, of coronavirus is extinguished. Right? When this fire goes out, when it's run its course. I told him one thing is people are going to find out that they like the lazy consumer point-and-click Christianity more than ever, right? Some people are going to find out that like, man, I like not driving to church. <laughs> I like choosing which pastor I want to hear from today. Matter of fact, today I want to hear from this pastor, but I love that worship team, so I'm going to log on there first, and then I'm going to click over here and log on here second. And when this fire is done, those people are not going to come back to church. They're going to say, this is, God, this is what you always had for me. I just didn't know it. <laughs> and I'm not just pointing the finger because what I was telling him that led me to that statement, I was like, man, you know, it's, it's weird for me right now to go into the church and make sure that I'm ready to go and ready to preach we, we hit record and we turn on the camera. The service is over. We pray. We hit off. We turn off the camera. And it's like, okay, I grab my bag and I get in the car. It's, it's weird to me that, you know, pastors used to say all the time, the only pr problem with pastoring is the people. And now we, we find ourselves in this state where there's no people who are actually here. And it ain't what we thought it would be. <laughs> Certain days you're like, man, there was no drama today. Nobody came up to me after service and said, hey, you messed this up and you should have said that. And did you really know that this happened? Did you know that that happened? And hey, pastor, run outside. So-and-so's fighting with so-and-so in their car. And it's like all that stuff is not happening right now. And as a pastor, sometimes we can be like, man, you know, I get used to this. No, oh, but it's the people that matter. I know we're recording, so I don't want to say this, but it's the drama that I miss. <laughs> the drama of real life and real people and real problems and real issues, that's the church. So one thing is going to happen. Certain people are going to say, man, I like this, and I'm going to go that route. The second thing I told them I think is going to happen are people are going to find out that they're so capable of having an amazing relationship with God. People who thought that it was just about coming to church and they only felt certain things when they were there in the building and they weren't as strong as other people in this season of this fire, in this season of not being able to gather, but having to read on their own, having to pray on their own, having to pursue God on their own. They're going to find out like, oh, God, I can have a strong relationship with you. You want to talk to me, not just on Sundays and not just in the gathering, not just in the atmosphere because the, the lights were just right and the music was just right and, and the smoke came up as I went to the altar. Like, no, they're going to find that just me and you, just you and your word, we can be amazing together. And then that is going to overflow in their lives into powerful ministry, not titled ministry, powerful ministry of just ministering to other people the love of God. So what have we lost? I pray that we've lost a dependency on church. And what have we gained? What has been purified? One thing, been purified, been refined, uh, or a better way maybe to look at it is what remains after this fire? So far, just one thing, and I'm gonna say Sabbath. You know, the difference between church and going to church on Sunday, there's a difference between Sabbath and what God has established 
for Sabbath and through Sabbath. So I feel like what we've gained and what I hope we have gained and what I hope we will gain is this value of Sabbath. Sabbath is not to make us feel better about our labor or toil, right? Sometimes when when we're taught about uh, the Sabbath or we're taught about uh, taking one day and making it holy, taking a Sunday and not doing anything, um, a lot of times what we're told is you need to stop and take a day to look at what you've done and just say, you know what, I feel good about that labor. I feel good about this work week. I feel good about what I did with my family. Like, you know what, I'm going to take this day and just reflect on on feeling good about my work and my toil. Sabbath is also not to gain strength to keep laboring and toiling, right? Some people will tell you, hey, why do we need a Sabbath? Or why do we need to take a day and just rest and just hang out and just watch football or just, just go and go to church and then go to lunch and just not do any work? You know what that's for so that you can get enough rest so that come Monday you can get back to the grind and you could work hard, you could labor hard, you could serve hard, and then, hey, man, after six days, you got to just take another break. And finally, Sabbath is also not just about the absence of labor, right? It's not so you feel good about what you've done. It's not so that you can get some strength to keep doing what you've done. And it's also not just about not doing anything. The absence of labor or toil. Sabbath is about the presence of God. Sabbath is about holiness and Sabbath is about the heavenly things, right? So if you, if you come back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're in the fiery furnace, what God added to them, what, what came out of the refining fire was the presence of God. For us, what I hope we gain in this fire of this coronavirus in 2020, right? What's left after, one of the things that's left after the fire is extinguished, right? and the refining fire has done what it was supposed to do is a value for Sabbath, an understanding of what it is and a value of it, right? So we're not just going to take a day off. Everybody's off right now for the most part. We're not just going to try to get some energy so we can work harder again. No, what we're going to say is it's not just the absence of labor. It's the coming in of the presence of God. It's the coming in to my life of holiness. It's the coming in of this uh, uh, focus on the heavenly things and not the earthly things. This renewed perspective, even when it comes to our days and our labors and our toils. Right? When we look at the gathering and we look at when the day comes where we get to come back on Sundays and, uh, and be together and hug and do all that good stuff and shake hands and you know, when we look at that, what I hope we've gained is not, is not just this, hey, we get another Sunday together. What I hope we've gained is this idea that, man, this is, this is an opportunity for the heavenly to come down to the earth. This is an opportunity for holiness to, to reign in my life. It may not reign in, in the world, right? We're in the world, but we're not of it. It may not be reigning everywhere. It may not be raining even in my neighbor's home, but it's going to be raining in my home. It's going to be raining in my life. This holiness, this presence of God, this seeking of God, this slowing down to not only remove these things, but to add some things to gain something into my life. Right. We find ourselves in this fire. We're forced to cry out. We're forced to seek God. I hope we feel forced to cry out. I hope we feel forced to seek God. 
But man, I feel like he wants to, to add something to our lives. Sabbath um, is such a por- an important thing, such a powerful thing. And what it was always intended to do was to, <laughs> I didn't have this in my notes, but it was intended to bleed into the other days of our week. Yeah. Right? Especially when you see it in the New Testament. It was never intended to just be this one day of holiness or this one day of the Spirit of God, this one day of, of God said when he made the Sabbath that if you read through the scriptures, it's almost like that's the moment that, that holiness came into the creation, right? But it's supposed to bleed into the other days, right? If, if Sunday is your Sabbath, there should be a Sabbath hangover that bleeds into Monday and it bleeds into Tuesday because you were so focused on God and his presence and his love that you didn't just turn that off on Monday morning. It was bleeding in. And the same thing, when we read through the scriptures in the Old Testament, it talks about the preparation day. Even last week when we looked at um, the crucifixion, why they had to do things and why they tried to get them when they, when they did, it was, it was the day of preparation. They weren't allowed to do anything because they were supposed to be focusing on the next day when the presence would come. There was a day of preparation. Do all your shopping now. Do all your cooking now. Get ready because tomorrow the presence is coming and you don't want to be busy when the presence arrives. You want to just be ready to enjoy that presence. So that, that preparation was always supposed to creep back, right, from, from Saturday being the Sabbath into Friday and into Thursday. For us, with Sunday, it's supposed to creep back into Saturday and into Friday and into Thursday. And after the Sabbath on Sunday, it's supposed to creep into Monday, into Tuesday, Wednesday. So we have this constant presence of God, this constant seeking of Him, this constant understanding that it was never about going to church on Sundays. It was always about being in the presence of God. So I want to pray. I want to close and uh, prepare us. um, Yeah, just for whatever God might have for the rest of our time, for the rest of your day to day, um, the rest of your week and uh, preparing us for next week. So I want to share. uh, This is from Revelation chapter three. And uh, we always try to give an opportunity for those that might want to come to faith, those that might want to, uh, to try God. And he says, try me now in this, right? To see if he's real, to see if his promises hold true. This is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. The Lord says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I counsel you to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. See, a lot of times we only talk about verse 20 where... We say, the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. If you open, he says that he will come in, that he will dine with you. But how fitting for today. What is it that Jesus says as he leads up to that? He says, you need gold refined in the fire. He says, you can only get it from me. He says, you need white garments. Take your sin-stained garments. And from me, you can get a white, pure garment. He says, whether you know it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, you have shame, you have nakedness, and you have guilt. 
He says, I'm the one that can keep that from being revealed. I'm the one that can take that upon myself as I give you riches, as I give you this refined gold, as I give you this garment, you'll stand before my Father in heaven, your Father in heaven, <clears throat> and all these other things will be covered by my blood. He says, those who I love, I chasten. What that means is I put them through fires. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. If they're going to be anointed, if they're going to be consecrated, I love them, I welcome them in, but then there's this chastisement. There's this rebuke. There's this suffering that they go through. That's part of the process. He says, but when you see all that, you should be zealous. <laughs> you should be passionate. There should be a fire inside of you, just like there is inside of me. For you, it should be to repent. And then he says, here I am at the door and I'm knocking. This is what I've offered you. Will you let me in? So if that's you, I want to pray with you. Lord, those who are listening right now, I pray that they would be hearing the sound of your voice. I pray that they would understand that this promise is a promise from you, not from me. That though they're poor, you'll make them rich. Though they're dirty, you'll make them clean. Though they're already exposed, you'll cover them. Lord, it's the same promise you made to me, and I'm so glad that I risked trusting you. Lord, it's the same promise you've made to every single one of us who have come out of death and into life, and we're so grateful for every one of them. Lord, for those right now who would say, this is their chance to repent, to ask you to forgive them for their sins. Lord, would you meet them where they are? Would you let this moment be the first Sabbath they have with you, Lord? Your presence, Lord, would it just fill the room, fill their hearts, fill their minds, prepare them for what's ahead of them, Lord God. Oh, how we need you, how we love you, Lord God. You're faithful, you're true, your promises, they endure. Hmm. Thank you for your love, Lord. Lord, for the rest of us, as we pray, we just ask, Lord, that uh, we wouldn't jump out of the fire, Lord. That we would stay in this season of refining. That you would purge out these impurities that are in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, Lord God. For our good and for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would just go ahead and consume any wood, hay, and stubble, Lord God. If we've been building something, Lord, now's the time we want it to come crashing down, Lord. Not in a month from now, not in six months from now, not in six years from now, Lord, when we've built it taller, when we feel like we've built it stronger, when there's more things that we love, Lord, that are just weaved into that, Lord. We'd rather it come crashing down now. Let it be consumed now. Let us build on that foundation that is you, Jesus. Let us build with things that are precious, Lord. Let us build with things that have been refined and pure, Lord God, with your holy and spiritual gold and silver and precious stones, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would lose 
our interpretation of the church, that we would lose our dependency upon the church, Lord God, that we wouldn't bring it back with us when we're allowed to gather again, Lord God, that those days would be the days of our past, Lord. I pray that we would gain an understanding and a value for Sabbath, Lord, and that we would find that time with you every single day, Lord. I pray for the priests of the homes, Lord God. I pray for the mothers, for the women, for the men, for the children, Lord, that this would not be a time of, of falling back and, and digressing, Lord, but it would be a time of forging forward, Lord, finding our gifts, seeing ourselves the way that you see us, being used in overflow of your love and of your spirit, of your power, of your presence, Lord God. Lord, we're thankful for the things we've lost in the fire. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Be blessed. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, we'll gather to talk and pray at 7. God bless you.
Another 